0: Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and it is, uh, as always, a delight to be here with you and to see uh, each one of you. Um, As you notice, you've been here for a while. We got things are a little bit different up here. Um, I'm quite happy being able to sit on a couch, Uh, so hopefully it's not too... I told the first service that uh, I I was going to try not to get too comfortable, even though I've decided to wear my uh, very uh, timely Seahawks slippers uh, this morning when I'm up here. Uh, To kind of get in the mood But um, I was reminiscing about uh, growing up And my dad, um, not every day But it it happened quite often Where he'd come home from work We'd all start working on dinner And all that kind of stuff And we'd eat And then we'd go sit in the family room And he'd have about three or four minutes of awake time And then he was asleep And I remember as a kid thinking like Wow, what's up with that? Like why why does he do that every day? Uh, But now I find it doesn't take more than me Sitting down often for me to find a place to go to sleep, and so hopefully uh, this won't uh, put me to sleep up here. We'll see how that goes, because um, we do have a nice fire roaring here and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but with all that, let's uh, let's pray, dear God. I give you great thanks for. I give you thanks for your presence in our lives, God. I give you thanks for this day um, that we have to be together with you. I pray that in this time you would speak to us from a place of nearness that is often difficult, too difficult for us to describe because it is so close and near. But I pray from that place we would hear you um, and that uh, we would become uh, more like you, Jesus, that you would change and transform us um, during this time together. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, we are in Week three of our Advent series, and and we've been talking about Advent as this time of anticipation or expectation and longing, and and we've done some things in here. Like I told you, we set up the the, the front space a little different. We paired the worship team a lot of, down a little bit. We've also done some other things to try to create a sense of expectation, a sense of anticipation. So. Around the sanctuary and out in the foyer All the artwork is, is pictures Depicting moments of waiting Or, or anticipation um, And we tried to vary them So some of them um, are ones that are Kind of that almost still Like I don't really know what to do waiting Others are kind of an anxious excited waiting uh, There are some that Feel really good there are some that are Reminders of times in our, our Cultures past where uh, People were waiting for something and that waiting Was painful um, but, but all different moments of waiting. And we've also, as Brian mentioned earlier, held off on taking communion uh, during this Advent season to, again, try to bring in a different feeling to to this Advent uh, time. And what I found personally is that not taking communion is really different. Uh, it really—there it, it, was a routine I was in, there was a moment, and it was this time for me to center and get straight and, you know, everything— walk up and get the bread and the juice and now I find that even when we're gathered together like this I I feel off it's like my routine has been uh, changed but that's what waiting does that's what waiting can do to us and especially if we allow it if we as Brian said last week if we can get ourselves to sit with it and try not to make it go away by trying to expedite things uh, so we don't have to feel that anymore um, or to allow ourselves to be distracted to try to kind of dull the, the ache of longing or anticipation that we feel And so that's what we're trying to do with this advent season Is we're trying to engage with those realities We're trying to sit with and realize that in our waiting We're going to find God Because I think too often we, we do try to distract ourselves Or move away from that And I think uh, one of the things we miss Is we miss finding God in those times of waiting And so our sermon series is entitled What we are waiting for And, and I love that because I think there's something that everyone can relate to, that every one of us has had a moment in our lives where we have been waiting for something. And, and to, to take our Advent time and, and sort of, you know, sort of get ourselves uh, in a place where we can sit with that, I think acknowledges that, that that's part of being human, that we're, we're, we know that feeling. But I think there's also some things that all humanity is waiting for, uh, and I think Advent has some things to say about that. And so I, I love this, this idea of what, what are we waiting for, what we are waiting for. This morning we're going to continue sort of our, our time in, in the book of Isaiah, exploring some of these themes. The first week, Martha invited us to engage with the reality that, that we are waiting to return. And how important the theme of returning is in the Bible and in the Advent story. And when we're in Isaiah, we find that God is He seems distant. From his people. The people have wandered. They're sensing that distance and so they cry out to Him and in doing so there's a sense of returning. That when we cry out to God we are turning to Him. And what we find is that God is also waiting. God is also returning to us. And as I thought about that I realized that's like a daily experience for me. Right? This, this feeling of uh, the Holy Spirit moves in me and I turn my attention towards God and then I find Him there eager to to engage and move with me. And last week, Brian spoke about how Advent is the counter-narrative to the many other narratives that are being sort of preached to us uh, on a daily basis, not just in our culture, but specifically at this time of year, and that we find in in allowing ourselves to be moved and led by the reality that God returns to us, that we're able to, to do what Brian called relearn what it means to follow Him. And again, I find that happening on a daily basis in my life. That I find I'm often having to relearn, oh no, this is what God's telling me to do. This is what it means in this situation today to follow Him and to live a life devoted to Him. And so we come into this week with those two sort of uh, moving us here. And we're going to be focusing today on the themes of rebuilding and restoring. That humanity has become lost and in our wandering in this lostness there is destruction. Destruction. And that we often hear phrases like people coming from broken homes. We have shattered dreams. We're picking up the pieces. And these are all uh, languages way of representing the brokenness that many of us encounter in our lostness. And so we long for a rebuilding and a restoration. If you remember from the last two weeks, the book of Isaiah is written during a very difficult time for Israel. The nation of Israel itself is split into two kingdoms. So there's division there the north is having trouble with some enemies and isaiah in this the midst of this is called by god to represent him to the people and the people are asking and inviting him to represent god to to you know back and forth they're both asking him and he's kind of in the middle and and i always when i read through scripture i always try to ask questions like what does it feel like to be in that space and so just a, a side question like have you ever felt like you were in between two people Trying to figure something out and trying to, I'm trying to be the voice to both people. Um, And that's where we find Isaiah. That's that's the the sort of the atmosphere that he's in. Uh, And so we're going to look at two sections. They're a little bit long, so uh, bear with me. They're going to be up on the screen behind me. But if you have your Bible, you can uh, follow along there too. The first one is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. And it says this. And then the other section is Isaiah 11,1 1 through10. And it says, "A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner of the pe- for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious. And remember, that's, that's in the midst of this division and all this hardships, particularly in the north. A couple things I want to say about prophecy in general, in and, and, and these two sections, that when you read through prophecy, there's this interesting sense of um, kind of now but not yet. That there are things that are happening when you read it that it feels like, oh, this is already happening. But then there's a sense when you read it, it's obviously not already happening. And so, so there's this weird tension. But this is the nature of prophecy. That there's an aspect of it that is here and now. Something that God is inviting us into, calling us into, or telling us that we need to participate with him in. And yet there's a sense, there's a future aspect to it. Something that hasn't happened yet. But even those future aspects, what they do is they, they call us into action in the here and now. So even if it's way off in the future There's something about that that calls to us That invites us that draws us in To living in the here and now And so we have this prophecy given to Isaiah That's got present and future implications That invite the people he's talking to To move in the space that they're in With the anticipation of what God is doing Both of these sections of scripture Deal with rebuilding and restoring the nation of Israel, again, has wandered from God and they've relied on humanity's ways of dealing with things. They've given themselves over to all kinds of other things that, besides God. They have followed the kings of the world and the royal house of Israel has become an imitator not of God but of the kingdoms around them. And so their relationship with God has a rift in it. And they have a longing to return to God. And so they cry out, just like we talked about earlier, this longing, this desire to return. And so they cry out to God. God meets them. In that meeting, there's a relearning, like Brian talked about, a relearning of what it means to follow God, to live in relationship with Him in their context. And in that, we discover that God is working to bring about wholeness. He's working to bring reconciliation of all things. And so there's a rebuilding and a restoring. And so it's fantastic to hear that. But what does it practically look like? How does it take place? And so I want to, what I want to do is I want you to trust me uh, because there are two books I, that I would love to be able to go through the whole of, Ezra and Nehemiah, that we're going to pull some things from where these are moments where there's actual rebuilding happening, but we don't have time to go through the whole thing. So one, I would encourage you to go read it for yourself. It's an awesome thing to do. Uh, but secondly, you're going to have to trust me on some of these things because uh, I'm not going to be able to go through the whole, uh, the whole book with you. Um, but these two books in the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, um, it, it happens when, um, so it's uh, in, the, in the early 6th century, Judah uh, in the north rebels against Babylon, and they get destroyed. And so the royal court, all the scribes, everyone gets uh, taken into exile into Babylon. Now, during this time, there's a longing for the people to return to home, uh, but there's also another nation, Persia, that is rapidly gaining power and the first Persian emperor this guy named Cyrus uh, is the one who eventually conquers Babylon um, and when that happens um, something changes and so in Ezra 1 1 through 4 I'm going to give you just a taste read 1 through 4 this is what happens it says in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus um, king of Persia Uh, And uh, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord. The God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so here we have this Persian king who's just conquered Babylon and takes the people who were in exile in Babylon and says, You should go and build a temple to your God, the God who's over everything. Right and and people along the way should give you stuff to do that and and i'm going to say anyone who wants to go can go This is radically unusual for a king who's conquering to do this But in this the first thing I want us to notice that's part of rebuilding and restoring is that the presence of god is Absolutely necessary for this to happen God is the one who stirs the heart of this king. The people of Israel who have been in exile, God has already stirred their hearts. They're already longing to return. But God now moves in this king to to move this to happen. And we need the presence of God because the power of destruction is immense. Right? I think about um, how many things in our world get destroyed... And then the, the power and the energy and the time it takes to rebuild them. And, and, it, and it seems like the power to rebuild has to be so much more intense than the power to destroy. So uh, I think about when I watch an athlete um, uh, who gets injured, right? And when and we watch a football game and we see someone get injured. And sometimes it's an ankle sprain and we see them walk off the field. And, and oh, it's going to be a couple weeks or something like that. Sometimes it's a season-ending injury or a career-ending injury. Right? When someone blows their knee out, th- that moment, it happens. Right? There's, there's a moment of destruction. What it takes to rehab that knee back to health takes a long time. It takes a lot of energy, and there's some things that we cannot repair. For a lot of us who have lived in Seattle for a long time, we remember this building called the Kingdom. Right, And we would go see football games there And baseball games and concerts And all kinds of stuff And it took years to build it And it was up for years And I remember watching the video of it being destroyed And it was down in a couple minutes Now obviously they had to set up all the explosives And all that stuff and there was planning But the actual moment where it was destroyed Was really quick compared to how long it took to build it Or certainly how long it would take to rebuild it And last night I got to watch uh, a championship MMA fight, and for those of you who know me, you know I have a martial arts school, so it was really uh, cool for me to watch this, Uh, but it was a championship fight for the featherweight title, it's 145 pounds, the guy who was the champion had been the champion for seven years, it's a really long time, when they introduce the fighters, they introduce the challenger, and then when they introduce the champion, the words they use are, they are the reigning, defending, the undisputed UFC featherweight champion of the world. This is a big deal Years of training has gone into Getting this person to this place The challenger is this Brash, loud mouthed guy Who's talking about overthrowing the champion And using these analogies of like He's the old gorilla and I'm the new gorilla And I'm going to come in and usurp the throne And all this stuff And he did it In 13 seconds Months Of hype Years of training, millions of dollars. 13 seconds. The loser saying, All this was lost in 13 seconds. But this is how life is. Like, as as a result of our lostness as human beings, we have an end, we die. And a power that is greater than death was needed. And God has that power. You've heard us say several times in the last few weeks and even beyond that, this is one of our phrases, that death does not have the final word. And that is absolutely true. But as we're talking about this rebuilding and restoring, I want you to hear some other things. I want you to hear this morning that lies don't have the final say, that hatred does not have the final say. That abuse does not have the final say. And confusion and chaos do not have the final say. That evil does not have the final say. Israel at this time is a country divided in two. The northern kingdom is being attacked and not doing very well with it. And everything seems to be about splitting and destroying. You ever feel that? Do you ever see that in our world? Do you see that in your own life? Do you feel that at your job or in your family, your school? Like things are falling apart and you don't know what it's going to take to rebuild it or restore it. This is what we are waiting for. If we continue reading through the story... In Ezra and Nehemiah, where they're rebuilding the temple, and, and Nehemiah is going to rebuild this wall. Um, what we also find is that there are enemies of rebuilding. Um, in Ezra 4 and in Nehemiah chapters 4 and 6, there's opposition to the rebuilding and the restoring that's happening. It comes from neighboring nations that don't want Israel to be back, they don't want another nation there. It's easier for them to have one other nation removed. It comes in the form of lies. It comes in the form of taunting and ridicule. It comes in the form of threats. People telling them they're wrong, that there's no way they can do what they're setting out to do. They're trying to trick them into fail. And the impact this has is that the people who are working to rebuild and restore begin to question. They become aware that they're tired and putting in a lot of work, and the workers and the people at one point are wanting to hide out of fear from the enemies around them. And again, I want to ask, have you ever felt this way? Like the people around you are working against you. Whether friends or enemies, people are misunderstanding you, taunting you, doubting you, undermining you, even betraying you. The passages in Isaiah we read earlier talk about the end of war. That not only will weapons be turned into plowshares, as we heard from Brian last week, but that any clothing or accessories of war are going to be burned. That in this world that this child is going to lead us into, there's no need for weapons. Whether they're physical, or words, or actions, or how we ignore people, or any of the other things we do that are hurtful. They no longer exist. This rebuilding and restoration that God is doing, there's no place for these. And that seems so foreign to us, and we long for that. That is what we're waiting for. The last thing I want us to to know about this rebuilding process is that it's done in community. Although there are certainly individuals working this process and people get highlighted in Ezra and Nehemiah, in Ezra 2 we read that over 42,000 people returned to the land to participate in the rebuilding and restoration of Israel. And In Ezra 3, uh, verses 1 through 6, it reads like this. When the seven months came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of the tabernacles, which, with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day, After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. The people, after getting settled, gather as one. In Jerusalem. And then Joshua and the priest begin to rebuild the altar. They begin to make sacrifices. They begin to go through the processes that defined and identified them as who they were. And throughout the story, there are so many people participating in this restorative work that is needing to be done. And that's the great thing. In Nehemiah, when he's going about trying to get this wall built can you imagine one person trying to build a wall uh, just one person trying to build a wall around your own house some of us has built little planter walls you know how much work that takes let alone a city or a nation imagine one person trying to do that but he doesn't have to do it by himself so he puts a stone down and then the next person puts a stone down and nehemiah is calling the shots and he's getting directions and he's troubleshooting and while people are building and building they're worried about enemies so some people are standing guard and waiting while others build and then they switch and rotate you don't have to do it by yourself and that's why when you go and do something restorative no matter how big it seems or how small it seems it is part of the movement that God is making to reconcile everything to himself so you could be starting a nonprofit, or you could be smiling at a stranger You could be playing with your kids for 10 minutes or you could be giving food to someone. It doesn't matter how big or small it seems. It's all working and building, participating with God. We see here that people are afraid, but this time they don't stop. They don't even think about hiding. They just keep going. And we see people relearning how to live following God going about all the things that they were supposed to do, all the things that they were intended to be doing in the place they were intended to be in. So what are we waiting for? We're waiting for a child, a child to lead us into a time where war and violence are ended, where bitter enemies will live together in shalom, where everything is right and as it should be. And for those of us that sit on this side of history, And look back, we will say that this has happened in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's absolutely true. But I am also still waiting. I'm still waiting for the end of war and violence. I'm still waiting for shalom. I'm still waiting for peace. I'm still waiting for all of us to be able to live together in the way we should be. Because I still see war. I still see violence. I still pe- see people being mean to each other, destroying one another. And there are days where I'm afraid. And I feel like the world and the people around me are working against me. And I long for this child who's going to lead. But what do I do with that longing? How do I sit with that? How do I sit with my fears in the midst of wars and my own violence and unrest? And I think what we do is we keep building. We keep working. We don't stop. We put down one more stone. We give one more smile. We wipe away one more tear. We speak one more encouraging word or we give another hug. We clean one more sidewalk. We help our neighbors move in. We bring meals to people. And when we cannot, we lean into God and find that through His Holy Spirit, He finds and digs up some strength in us that we didn't think we have and we keep going. And when we find out that we can't get any further and we can't do any more, that there's someone there watching our backs. There's someone they're carrying too because when we are all moving collectively and all participating in this restorative process, we don't have to do it alone. And there's someone to carry us when we can't go anymore because we've been there to carry them when they haven't been able to go anymore also. And we do all this in the anticipation and expectation that God is moving and His presence is in this world and we get to participate with him as he moves to reconcile all things to himself. I'd like to ask the worship team to come back up. In just a moment, we're going to sing one more song, but I have a couple of questions that I want you to ponder. Um, uh, on your connection card, you can write answers to these questions down, and you can put those in the, the wood boxes on your way out. It gives us great ways to, to pray for you and, and to respond. Uh, to that Uh, but you don't have to do that you can write them on that half sheet of paper you have and just uh, have with you throughout the week to to answer Um, but the first question is what areas of your life are you waiting for rebuilding and restoration to occur in and this could be something like uh, something you see in your neighborhood could be something very personal in your own life that, that, that you're dealing with. Could be something you see in one of the circles that you uh, participate in. But where is, is an area of your life where you know there's something that needs to change? There needs to be a rebuilding and, and a restoration there. Secondly, what things are you cur- currently doing to participate in God's work of rebuilding and restoring in that area? Um, so maybe you haven't realized that you're just thinking of it now, so you haven't been doing much. Or maybe you're like, I've been doing a lot, and I feel like my wheels are spinning. I'm not getting any traction. And maybe you feel like things are going awesome. I'm really digging in and getting a lot of work done. But but what things are you currently doing to participate in that? Third, what are some of the enemies to that rebuilding and restorative work? Um, what are the things that are hindering you? And I don't I don't have you name these things so that you can sort of charge after them and attack them or anything like that. But there are times when um, when I've gotten through something and I look back, I, I do feel good at times saying uh, to something that was trying to hinder me, uh, you are not more powerful than God. And I like to name that. It's very helpful for me to do that. Um, uh, with that, I wouldn't, I don't name people. Just my own thing. So, uh, And then, uh, lastly, uh, who are some people that you can work with in that rebuilding and restoration. Who are the people around you that you can trust to enter into that process with uh, that you know will uh, have your back and you have theirs and you can work together on bringing uh, restoration to that place. Uh, with that, I'm going to pray and then we'll sing uh, one more song. Dear God, again, I give you great thanks for your presence here with us. Um, God, that you are uh, inviting us uh, uh, in a daily moment-by-moment moment sort of cycle to rebuild and restore uh, and that as we begin to work in that process we will find our own selves being rebuilt and restored and we will find healing we will find uh, transformation we will find new life uh, both for ourselves and the people around us and so god i pray i pray that you would empower us holy spirit i pray that you would move us in such a way that we wouldn't be people who just talk about these great things or think about these great things that you have for us, but we would be so moved by your heart that we would begin to act, that we would begin to move ourselves to to bring about this restoration and this rebuilding that you have for us.